this knowledge doesn't go away. It doesn't die. It just kind of goes dormant, but just given the right conditions and the openness in a person that that medicine will come through. And I always like to say it's, it's recorded in our bones and blood in our DNA. So even if it's been many generations since someone was a practicing herbalist in our family lineage, it's still there. Hello friends, welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. I'm Amber Magnolia Hill, and this is episode 40. Today I'm sharing my interview with Atava Garcia Swaziki. It's incredibly beautiful, and I also have a very sweet gift for you at the end of this intro. I hope it lands in your heart the way it landed in mine. And super honored and grateful to the people who created it for doing so and for allowing me to share it with you. But we'll get there. First, I want to tell you about the synchronicity that plays into today's interview. So I had met Atava 10 years ago. And we had done an exchange in which she got this beautiful vintage embroidered Mexican dress from me. This is back when I was selling vintage clothing online under the name Violet Folklore, um, which feels like a lifetime ago, but was also, you know, directly led me to what I'm doing now. The first herbal medicines I sold were St. John's wort oils that I put up in my Etsy vintage shop in 2012. Um, so anyway, a few days before the interview, I was thinking, I wonder if Atava still has that dress. It's just always stuck with me. You know, so many pieces of vintage came through my life during those years, but I always thought that one was just really special and beautiful. It had deer on it. Um, and I remember back then Atava saying like this, this dress carries ancestral medicine for me. It connects me to my Mexican lineage and so we get on the Skype call, um, Atava answers, the video pops up, and she's wearing the dress. And I was like, oh my god, I think I even cut off her hello. I was like, you're wearing the dress. And she's like, yeah, this this dress, yeah. And I was like, you got that from me. And she was like, oh my gosh. So she hadn't remembered, which I think makes it like so much more special that she was guided to put it on that morning. And then what I hadn't remembered is that we had met and done the exchange at the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium. Um, I got a mushroom tincture from her, and that was the first time I'd ever had mushroom medicine. I was super into the idea of mushrooms and mycelium and fungi in general at that time, but I hadn't taken the medicine into my body. So it felt like a very powerful exchange for both of us, I think. And about a year later, I ran out of the mushroom medicine and I looked at the label and went to her website, Ancestral Apothecary, and found out that she was offering these really beautiful um, ancestral services, working one-on-one with people. And that was right when I was feeling the call of my own ancestors and getting interested in connecting deeper. You know, I was doing the genealogy research, but I wanted to go deeper and I could tell that that's exactly what was going to happen with Atava. So she helped me to decode what what is the most important dream I've ever had. And I won't share it here because I've already done that in episode 7 with Lara Valeda Vesta. Um, so if you want to hear the dream about the scroll in my bones and and how it how Atava helped me to um, figure out what it meant to me, you can listen to that. But basically the message for me was 
write, write about your ancestors. And I've really taken that seriously ever since then. Um, I had a blog at that time based around herbal medicine, and then it kind of segued into vintage. But the whole time I've put stories of my ancestors up there and my ancestral wanderings and um, just done it more and more so as time has gone on. And, you know, another direct line to what I'm doing here today with this podcast and classes and other writings and stuff. So thank you, Atava. That really played a big guiding role in my life at that moment in time. I Oh, and if you would like to see a photo of this dress, I'm going to put it up on the website, um, mythicmedicine.love slash podcast slash Atava, A-T-A-V-A. And it's a photo. I, I don't do photos to go alongside these episodes anymore. I did for like the first few, but it's just another thing to think about and worry about. And I don't want people to worry about what they look like or, you know, anything like that. But I'll, I'll put a photo up for this one. And, um, so it's me modeling the dress back in the day for my little Etsy shop, but I wanted to share that one specifically because it's another synchronicity because I, in that photo, am standing on the land of Marie Sue, the woman whose uh, music opens every episode of this podcast. Marie is a friend here in Nevada city. And we did a photo shoot back in the day on her parents' land, the land that she grew up on. Um, it's a really beautiful and special piece of property um, and is really meaningful for Marie, I know. I'm almost getting like emotional just even thinking about that land. Maybe we'll talk about it when she is on the show in the next couple months here. So if you'd like to see the dress, you can do that there. And um, Atava is generously giving away one of her herbal medicines for the Patreon supporters of the show at the $2 a month level. Thank you, Atava. Thank you, patrons. You make it possible. I am able to sit here in my room with the rain pounding outside right now recording this intro because my friend Sarah is hanging out with my two and a half year old Nixie so that I can work, work, work. Um, so... The medicine that Atava is offering is called Heart Mend, and it is an herbal and flower essence remedy to soothe heartbreak and grief. Heart Mend is made from herbs traditionally used to support the nervous system and help with emotional balance. The flower and gemstone essences in the remedy help support people going through difficult times of loss, grief, and heartbreak. Heart Mend is like a balm for a broken heart. It helps to ease emotional pain and bring a sense of comfort and support. The ingredients are hawthorn berry, lemon balm, mimosa flower and bark, red roses, aurelia leaf, quetical mutt, which is, this herb was new to me when I was reading these ingredients. Um, it looks like it hails from Mexico and I don't know much about it and I'm not sure if my pronunciation was right on or not, but probably not. Um, essences of bleeding heart, borage, <laughs> I always have the hardest time with that word, borage. Um, I want to say it because I'm studying French right now, like borage, rose, and jade. Other ingredients are organic grape and or cane alcohol filtered water, and it's gluten-free. So you can check that out. Enter to win the giveaway to win a bottle of this beautiful medicine. At least check out the photo of it at um, patreon.com slash medicine stories and I will put somewhere in that description when the last day to enter will be but it'll be sometime like in mid-March probably so thank you Atava thank you again to my wonderful 600 plus 
patrons, you guys uh, are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I do this work for you and for the many, many, many other people who aren't able to be patrons, um, but listen and send their good vibes and their love this way. It really um, is sustaining. Thank you. So now I get to tell you about this beautiful gift of a song um, that I am just, again, honored to be able to bring to you to be a bridge between the song's creators and you all listening right now. Um, So the story of how it came to me is that I was participating earlier this month on my 38th birthday and the two days following in an ancestral lineage healing intensive in Berkeley, California. Um, This is based on the framework laid out by Dr. Daniel Four, who was interviewed on episode 26 and will be my next episode as well, second interview with him. Um, And, you know, I've just talked about him and this framework a lot on this show, so you're probably familiar if you've ever listened before, ancestralmedicine.org. It's just, it's a really beautiful organization, really beautiful um, work, and and again, framework specifically for bringing healing to our lineages, like, you know, one at a time. And um, anyway, so the closing ritual of the the weekend was so profoundly beautiful. I mean, it was perhaps like the best couple hours ever of my life. Maybe not the very best, but like top three experiences. I was just so moved and so open and Oh, it was unbelievable. I really recommend, um, yeah, participating in one of these intensives if you're ever able to. They're all over the world every year. Um, So that day at lunch, right before this ritual happened, I had connected with a beautiful soul in the group named Shlomo. And during this um, closing ritual, Shlomo offered a song and it just really hit me resonated in my bones. I thought it was incredibly beautiful. And luckily, when we had connected at lunch, I had asked for their phone number. And so about a week or so after the intensive, I texted them and said, would you mind sharing a recording of yourself singing that song with me? I can't get it out of my head. And they did. And they shared the person who shared it with them. And then the people who had created the song. And as I was getting ready to release this episode, I just felt like That song is so in line with the things that Atav and I talked about, and if it touched me that much, it must touch other people this much. Um, So with Shlomo's help, I got in touch with the other five people who needed to be asked permission, and they kindly gave me permission to share it with you today. But before we listen to it, I'm going to tell you more of the story behind the song and then of course I'll give you Atava's bio and then we'll go into hearing the song and then right into the interview. So first of all um, Shlomo also goes by Solomon and their last name is Pesach. I might be pronouncing that last consonant a little too French but um, I just want to you know be really clear with the lineage of how the song came to me and give it that respect. And Shlomo heard the song from his friend, Kelsey Pombo. And Kelsey, upon emailing, is the one who got me in touch with the four creators of that song. Their names are Bronte Velez, Hasmin Calderon Torres, 
Justine Epstein, and Lila Glickson. Again, hoping I'm getting pronunciations correct here and trying. Um, the four of them are students of the Weaving Earth Immersion, a nature-based program for adults that educates for action at the confluence of social, ecological, and personal systems change. Sounds super rad. Weaving Earth is based in Sonoma County on the occupied lands of the Southern Pomo and Coast Miwok peoples. And so the song was born during the immersion as um, these folks were creating prayer flags to mark their collective transition at the end of end of the year. And Hasmin had written on their flag, now I remember that I am a prayer of my ancestor's breath. And then sitting nearby, the rest of them began to put the words to music. And then the second verse, which goes, now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death, came from the teaching of Uncle Paul Raphael, an Odawa peacemaker and mentor, elder and teacher at Weaving Earth for many years, who shares that the work of the human being is to learn to no longer be afraid of dying. Um, so you know that I love, I love that teaching. It is very much in line with things we've talked about on the show before, especially in episodes five and six. I just think that's so beautiful. I think that line in the song is so beautiful and ties into the end of me and Atava's conversation here today. And the final verse, we are giving our breath back to the earth, had been caught by Hasmin in another context, but fit right into the flow as the song was being born. And the harmonies were created by Lila. Um, and so Bronte and Hasmin are also on the team of Led to Life as creative director and event production alchemist, respectively. Led to Life is transforming weapons into shovels for tree planting ceremonies at sites that have been impacted by violence or carry spiritual significance across Atlanta, occupied lands of the Cherokee and Creek people, and Oakland, occupied lands of the Ohlone people. So I will, of course, have links to the Weaving Earth Immersion and to Led to Life in the, um, in the show notes. They both are incredible <laughs> programs that deserve your attention. Um, and I really recommend listening to this episode all the way through. It's definitely a long one. Um, and I just think it gets really powerful at the very end. That's what I'll say. And definitely ties into the song and is part of the reason I asked for permission to share this song. Um, so Atava, I'm going to read her bio to you quickly and then we can get to it. Atava is inspired by the folk and indigenous healing traditions of her own Polish, Mexican, Hungarian, and Diné ancestors. She is dedicated to remembering and honoring the healing traditions of her ancestors and also to creating spaces to support others to also build relationship with their ancestral medicine. Atava is also passionate about connecting people to our common ancestors, the plants. She's been studying and practicing healing arts for over 25 years and has an undergraduate degree from Stanford University and a graduate degree in Indigenous Mind from Naropa University. Um, sorry, I just got distracted by a raven. I can't not watch them fly um, in Oakland. Atava is a professionally registered clinical herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild and is also certified in both acupressure and Jinshin Jutsu. Atava began studying Mexican curanderismo in 1999 with curanderas Doña Enriqueta Contreras and Estela Roman, both of whom she continues to learn from today. 
In the early 2000s, as a student in the Indigenous Mind program, she was mentored by Dr. Apila Colorado, the mother of Indigenous science, as well as other cultural and Indigenous elders. Her time in the Indigenous Mind program was a deep dive into her own ancestral remembrance, connection, and healing. During this time, she focused on her father's Polish-Slavic ancestry and wrote about this experience in her master's thesis entitled, Journey to My Polish-Indigenous Mind. Atava has taught in schools and universities throughout Northern California, including San Francisco State, UC Berkeley, JFK University, and the California Institute of Integral Studies. She has a clinical practice where she helps people of all ages with their physical, emotional, and spiritual health. Her healing work is a unique and powerful combination of curanderismo, herbal medicine, flower essence therapy, therapeutic dream work, and energetic body work. She also has developed and offers her own style of ancestral healing work, which she calls deep genealogy coaching. Atava also founded the Ancestral Apothecary School of Herbal Folk and Indigenous Medicine to be a learning space dedicated to the ancestral to ancestral knowledge and healing. She has taught hundreds of students and has recently graduated her first class of clinical herbalists, most of whom were women of color. And speaking of, um, Atava and I in this episode speak about her class, the Ancestral Apothecary School, and this amazing nine-month herbal training program she has called Mana. And she has a fundraiser going right now to, to help give these students of color who wish to connect with their own ancestral medicine scholarships um, in order to be able to do that. And so I'm going to put a link there in the show notes. And I know that there are so many good causes we could give our money and time and attention to. But for me, someone who does this podcast, someone who thinks all the time about um, connecting people with their ancestral medicine, someone who is the descendant of colonizers, it is just... I love I love being able to contribute to helping people who have been historically marginalized and denied access to such programs and such teachings and who have been cut off from their own ancestral medicine and healing ways to be able to access that again. And Atava is just such a beautiful um, maker of that happening. <laughs> Forgive that phrasing. But... Um, you know, I just, I ask you to hold the possibility in your heart of contributing to this beautiful GoFundMe. The link is right there. You can check it out. You can watch their sweet video. You can look at the beautiful photograph of the students and, you know, a little bit helps as Atava says, um, supporting herbalists really supports community health. Herbalists are the grassroots healers in communities. And as more and more people get interested in herbalism, we're going to need more and more training with integrity and um, depth of rootedness in ancestral traditions like Atava is offering. So for me, this feels like a really good place to put my money. And again, I just ask you to hold the possibility in your heart of contributing. Check it out. And so um, one last quick thing before we hear this song is that the very beginning of the song is, la- it's not the song, it's the recording. Um, a few moments before they actually start singing the song, there's just like some joyful noise making that's happening. And I wanted to keep it in because it's joyful and it's beautiful. And it's cute and fun. And 
um, but it is loud. So I'm someone who gets startled by sudden loud noises. So I wanted to give you that warning. And I'm also someone who is sometimes driving in a car with a sleeping toddler listening to a podcast. So I don't want to suddenly be startled by sound that might wake my baby up. There's nothing worse. Um, so before we listen to this, which is called by a number of different names by its creators, but one of those names is the ancestor song. So I'm just going to call it the ancestor song. Um, I'm going to count down. I'm going to count down three, two, one. And when I get to one, then the loud few seconds will start and then immediately transition into the gorgeous song. Oh, and something I forgot to say, too, is that at the end of the interview, I'm going to play the other version of the song, the one that Shlomo sings. And so I hope you'll stick around for that, too, because it's also lovely just to hear the um, the single vocalist singing the song. So thank you so, so much to the four creators of the song, to Kelsey for bringing it to Shlomo, to Shlomo for bringing it to me, to Atava for this amazing interview, and to the ancestors for making it all possible, for bringing us all here on the earth together at this time to co-create. Okay, three, two, one. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> this is the remix. <laughs> okay. What's it called? What's the story? Oh. oh. Okay, let's just go, let's just go. Now I remember that I am a prayer of my ancestors' bread. Now I remember that I am a prayer of my ancestors' bread. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back. Back to the earth. Now I remember. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back, back to the earth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, Atava. Welcome to Medicine Stories. Hi, Amber. It's really good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, really happy to reconnect with you, and I'm looking forward to this opening invocation that you have offered to to do for us. Yes, 
Um, it's the way I've been trained, especially when talking about ancestors, you know, to start with the prayer to make the space sacred. So thanks for being open to this way of opening. Um, I know the listeners can't see it, but I will light a little cedar here. And um, thank you for giving me the name of your ancestors that you want to um, include in this prayer. And so I'll light a little cedar. Maybe there'll be a little bit of a crackling sound. <laughs> Blessing myself and you and all those who will listen. Bring it to all the directions. And I also have some tobacco here too that I'm going to just kind of pray with and then put aside and then at the end of the uh, talk I'll go out and give it to the earth too uh, I actually wrote a prayer poem this morning about honoring tobacco and restoring our sacred relations it feels good to hold it homegrown so I want to say good morning to the creator great spirit Great mystery. Say good morning to our beloved Mother Earth. In the names of my ancestors, we call you Matka Jema, Nahashtan, Donat Saint Lalikwatlikwe. Good morning to the spirits of the land, the ancestors of the land, and I'd like to ask permission of the land that I'm on and the land that Ember's on and the land that I live, these three locations today, just for permission to welcome in our own ancestors and spirit guides, honoring the people whose land we are living on. So I greet the spirits of the land I'm at here right now in what's called Albuquerque, New Mexico home to many Pueblo tribes, home to the Navajo and the Diné. Asking your permission to speak from here. And I greet the ancestors of the place I call home, Oakland, California, the Ohlone people, Ohlone territory, the place that's loved me and sheltered me and nurtured me in so many ways for the past 25 years, always asking permission to be in good relationship with the ancestors there and aligning myself with the, the current struggles of the Ohlone people to restore their sacred sites, restore their culture, and particularly preserve the West Berkeley Shell Mound. And I greet the ancestors of the place where Amber is, the Nisanan and the Nisanan territory. Thank you for taking care of her, giving her all that she needs to do her life and asking permission to bring in her ancestors, her work, her heart work to the space. Um, so I want to greet our beloveds, ancestors and 
teachers and elders who are in the spirit world who we wish to include in this conversation. I want to say the name of my most recent ancestor, my father, Michael Edmonds Wysicki, who's become quite an incredible guide and ally from the other side and whose Polish roots um, I often I also carry in my blood and honoring his parents, Helen and Michael. And I greet the ancestors of my mother's line, Jesus Garcia Delgado, Helen or Hilda Dudash Garcia, and the ancestors in that lineage who come from New Mexico, Mexico, Hungary, and Romania. I thank you and continue to pray for our healing, especially in the matrilineal line, which showed up really strongly in my own life in this last year. And I want to greet the ancestors of Amber Magnolia Hill, Janice Marie, Dathel Inez, Jenny Ruth, Gladys May, Maggie Loreny. Sorry, I can't read my own. Loreen. Maggie Loreen. And you know what the words in my heart. Um, and also, our guides and our teachers, I you know, have some really beloved elders who are now in the spirit world who are my teachers. I just want to mention their names. Uh, Mr. Hale Makua and Auntie Mahayalani Poipoi and all the others who have been teachers and guides to both of us. And of course, the living are teachers and guides and elders, just honoring them for all that they've shared and supported us and our path of healing, our path of ancestral remembrance. Um, particularly, I want to just give thanks for the life and the work of Dr. Apila Colorado, whose vision and prayer really touched my life and then can see that continuing through the lives that uh, I touch and other and the students of hers touch. So thank you to all the ancestors, all the guides, to the earth, to the elements, to the creator for allowing us to have this time to share medicine stories from the heart. And may all that we share be medicine, be healing, be transformative, help repair and heal this world that is so broken and the people who carry so much trauma from current day situations and also ancestral trauma and also healing for the earth and the plants and the animals and all the beings who are affected by the imbalance of humankind right now. I say thank you. Gracias, Jankuya. Tatsukomati. Omateot. Thank you, Atava. You're welcome. Um, 
Oh, I have so much that I could ask right now. So I just don't even know where to begin. But I'm going to go to something that you said during that, which is um, that your father, who is your most recently passed ancestor, has become an ally for you from the other side. And um, I would just like to know more about that. What what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's been a really beautiful and mystical process. Um, I mean, my father was a very mystical being when he was alive. And I often say that, you know, if he was born in another culture in another time, you know, he would have been recognized as whatever, a medicine person of some sort, but he was, uh, you know, white male <laughs> born in 1943 in Hamtramck, Michigan, a Polish like community and so Polish descent. So I think growing up very, with a lot of discrimination and, and experience of assimilation, his gifts, as many are who um, are embodied, you know, he didn't have an outlet. So they also, you know, manifested in some hard things like mental illness and addiction. But, you know, he had the very strong mystical side and would always talk to me about how he got messages from the clouds or the birds and dreams. And I just thought he was weird, <laughs> you know, like he was not a normal father, but anyways, um, he was also a really strong believer in me and my path and, you know, the work I I'm doing, I mean, it's becoming a lot more, mainstream, at least in the Bay Area or maybe parts of, you know, the country or the world, you know, ancestral work or herbal work. But, you know, when I started, it, it was still not very, it wasn't like a path that you, you took if you wanted to like be successful in a really standard way. But anyways, he was always really, he always believed in me and he'd, you know, tell me or write little letters and I knew he had my back and and, um, yeah, and so when he died, I mean, of course, there's many layers of, of grieving. And I want to say he, di he did die of something called Lewy body dementia, which, so not only his death was hard, but the last couple years of his life were really hard for you know, me and my mom and my sister, especially for my mom, because she was the caretaker. That's what uh, Robin Williams had that was so bad it caused yeah. him to take his own life. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like dementia with Parkinson's elements. So the, the physical body is really affected. Um, you know, there's a lot of manifestations which can look like paranoia or anger or aggression. Um, but you know, after he died, um, it, you know, it's interesting on this path of, you know, following and honoring and remembering ancestors. And then suddenly it's like, whoa, <laughs> I have to apply all that I've learned. And it, um, it was hard because at first I didn't have a sense of him, but it was interesting. I had several other people in my life, friends who had dreams of him. I'm like, how come he didn't come to me in my dreams? I mean, he has since then in various forms. And I think it's about kind of his evolution as a spirit. Um, and also me processing 
the last, you know, years of his life because, you know, the person who I knew changed, right? He became very vulnerable and fragile and, you know, all of that. But so what started happening, let's say about a year after he died, is just some really unexpected, miraculous events. And, you know, I'll say, I'll say, I mean, I could say a couple of them, but the first one that happened was, you know, I, the year after he died, I started to offer up through my school, Ancestral Apothecary, that the first time a nine month herbal training program. And to that, before that, my classes were at the most three months long or 13 weeks long. And, you know, so this was a really big growth, growing edge for my business and for me, because it's holding a lot of space. And one of the, and, and that became so because my students were asking for it. And, and that's a whole nother story, but we can I'll finish this story first. So I had students, I think the first year we had 17 students, you know, we had the teachers, we had everything lined up, but um, I really didn't have the right space to do an, a long-term herbal school because I had a, a cl classroom slash office and then the only way we could do any herbal medicine making was by making this like, putting like a hot plate on a table and um, kind of carrying all these supplies around the office, you know, the pots and the pans <laughs> and the jars and then literally washing our dishes in this tiny little bathroom sink in the hallway. Like it was just like not set up. And I knew that I was like, this is not set up for <laughs> normal school. But so the class was started scheduled to start, I think around like February 15th. And I think literally like a week before that, my, my partner, my wife Liz was um, at the school cause she was helping me a lot, like get, get the space ready. I, she was painting and I, 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 my office is in a shared, shared space with other tenants. And it's also what, what's called a mixed use space. So there's office suites or office, you know, offices for businesses. And there's also three apartments. And literally that day she saw the, the property manager put a sign in the door said apartment for rent. And it was the apartment right down the hall, which I, you know, secretly had my eye on for a while because I was like, oh, that'd be so great if we had that apartment. Like it has a kitchen and extra space and, and like miraculously one, it became available like, oh, you know, a week before the class started. And then also that Liz happened to be there and she saw the sign. So, you know, this is Oakland. So like getting any rental is you have to like hustle and <laughs> just use a lot of your magic uh, to get any, any whether commercial or, you know, personal rental space. So, so she saw the sign. I immediately called our property manager. And since I already was a tenant, he was like, it's yours. Do you want to see it? If you want it, it's yours. So we saw it. And of course it was exactly what we needed as a nice big kitchen with all the things you need for an herbal school, like, you know, a sink, a refrigerator, it had more room, a nice room for just extra space for the classes. So 
yeah, so that just miraculously happened. And I was like, that's my father. Like, and he's done that several times since, like pulled or, you know, created little miracles um, that just don't make sense in any other way. And, and it often has to do with like, you know, helping me in this, you know, this work heart path that I'm walking of. Um, and then another thing that happened, uh, I think this was last summer, I was seeing this person named Francis the Healer, who's an energy healer who travels around. He lives, he's based in LA. He's actually Scottish, but lives in Los Angeles and travels around the U.S. doing healings and, you know, Anyways, I was seeing him, and uh, when I was on the table, you just kind of lay on the table, and he puts his hands either on you or over you, and it's very, you know, very quiet, but I just had this really powerful sense of my dad as this, like, pure white light, like, pure white light, I guess, you know, and maybe in more new-agey terms, we'd say, like, you know, angelic um, realm. And it was just very, very powerful, and it was also really you know, comforting on many levels. One, because I just felt like, oh, he's he's made it, you know, he's he's in a good place. And also, like, wow, and I, you know, I have access to this. You know, he's he's working with me, and um, and so you know that happened. And then I think I've talked to you before about triangulation, but one of the kind of basic uh, tenets of indigenous science that was taught to me by my mentor at Pila, Colorado is triangulation. And, you know, when you have an, an experience or intuition or a dream or, you know, about something spiritual, like she'd say, how do we grind, ground it into like material like to know it, it's really a message from the ancestors and not just a like a hallucination or a fantasy because you know we can easily just be like oh I got this message you know so she says wait for like the evidence to repeat itself at least twice more um so then it forms a triangle so so I had that experience in my dad a few days later my sister who didn't know about my experience with my dad because she was on a trip and near up near Mount Shasta. She just texted me. She's like, Ataba, I just had this incredible experience. I was swimming and I felt dad as this white light and it was so filled with love. I just, you know, got out of the water and I just cried and I just felt him so strongly. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, I just happened to feel him as a white light too, you know? So, you know, that's my only, my only sister, his only other child. So my dad kind of made his white light debut to both of us, like within days. And so, you know, so that felt very confirming that, that he's, you know, he's, he's with us. I mean, it, it's, it's different than communicating with people who are in a body, as you know, like you just have to really be attuned to the subtle the subtle signs, you know, to your dreams, to your intuition. And, and then again, just look for those, those things that, you know, repeat the patterns or the messages that repeat. So, um, you know, but at first after he passed, 
I think it was at least a year. I just didn't necessarily feel him and I felt sad and I felt like I, I was failing at my work because how could I, I couldn't even connect with my own father. Um, I think it's something that takes practice and, and time and attention. And I know really the more we communicate from this side or make space for them to come through, the more they can come through. You know, that's why we build ancestral altars or have their pictures up or offer them a spirit plate of food and, you know, all those things, just those gestures, they seem small, but I think they're really significant. Hmm. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, my mom died three years ago in a car accident. Mm. And uh, so, you know, so sudden and shocking and we were very close and I've had some similar experiences and it's really like an ancestral fire that I tend with her and um, just like a true raining of blessings down onto my life since she passed starting mm -hmm. almost immediately like it's almost unbelievable how like how much poorer my life is without her physically present but how much richer it is in every other way mm -hmm. since she left um so you mentioned that you started the plant path and the ancestral path um a long time ago before it was yeah before both things were as you know blessedly popular and well-known as they are now. Um, how did you become interested in both of those things? And how did you come to understand your own ancestry? Yeah, well, I mean, when I look back now, I, I, I think I was really called to both, um, but didn't know it was a calling because it wasn't, you know, being an herbalist wasn't an option I didn't know a herbalist, you know, I didn't even know that was a profession. <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, like I mentioned in the prayer, my, my ancestors come from, well, actually right now I'm in Albuquerque. I'm, so ancestors from as close, the closest on this continent are Taos, but that grandfather, great grandfather was Navajo. Um, um, and ancestors from Mexico, indigenous Mexican, although I don't know the exact tribe, but from what now is called um, the state of Guanajuato. Um, my father's ancestors are are Polish, a little, little German in there just because of the history of colonization of Poland. Well, maybe I shouldn't, you know, whatever. maybe someone truly fell in love, but anyways. <laughs> and, um, and then on my mother's side, there's also um, Romanian and Hungarian. But um, but anyways, what I like to say about my ancestral story is <clears throat> all of my grandparents spoke a first language other than English. Um, and then in the by the time my parents were born, both in the 40s, and their childhood and their upbringing, neither of them spoke any language except English. <laughs> and it was like Polish was spoken when the grown-ups didn't want um, the children to know, or the, you know, the same with Spanish. Like people just didn't didn't learn the language. And I think that the goes it goes the same with a lot of the culture, the customs and cultures. You know, just it was a generation of a lot of assimilation and survival. Um, 
So when I was born and in my childhood, uh, I, I knew my, I guess, cultural identity. I knew I was Polish. I knew I was Mexican. I knew I was, you know, Navajo. I knew I was Hungarian, but I, I didn't have a cultural connection to them except maybe little remnants through food or maybe I wouldn't say not little remnants like I would say food was the one thing that continued in our household in particular it was actually Polish food like we'd have pierogi or uh, Polish pancakes latkes um, Polish sausage um, that kind of thing so and you know, in terms of my mom's ancestry, I mean, she's a, a you know, an obvious woman of color with, you know, black hair and brown skin. So I knew, I knew she wasn't white. <laughs> I, though, passes white. So anyway, it's very confusing in some ways, too, because when you're mixed race, uh, that's a whole nother thing. But anyways, I didn't grow up um, connected to these cultural practices and definitely not the healing practices uh, but I, I think the ancestral memory from all of those lineages, because I really believe there's healers in all my lineages, as are in all of our lineages. I think that that was really strong. Um, in 1994, I went to the Women's Herbal Symposium, where I met you. Not in 94, but right where we met years later. Um, and it just felt like coming home. I was like wow, like plants and medicine making and, you know, there's that energy there. Like it holds a certain energy that, you know, women are healers in so many cultures around the world, right? And that's something that's been colonized out of us and burned and tortured out of us for those of us with European ancestry. And, you know, that happened to healers on many continents as well and still continues. So, there's a reason we've forgotten. But anyways, being there at the Women's Herbal Symposium, just something lit up in me. And I met the person who had become my first teacher, Karen Sanders, who's Choctaw and Jewish. And when I met her, I just knew I wanted to study with her. So I became her student. She lived in Oakland at the time. And so I, you know, I just got to dive deep into the herbal herbal world and I feel really grateful that she was my first teacher because she taught not just from a perspective about herbs that's about herbal actions and you know phytochemicals and the more scientific way of approaching herbs but you know she has indigenous teachings from her lineage so I learned learned how to re relate to plants from you know, that perspective. So, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, so, and, and in the years as I studied with her, uh, there was just this question in me, and this is where I just feel like it was, it was guidance or maybe a contract, soul contract I made with myself before coming in. I, cause I did have this, this question, well, what did my ancestors do? Like, I know, I just knew that they had traditions with plants and with healing. And I was really curious. I was like, what did my ancestors do? And um, one day I was working in the Scarlet Sage, which is still an herbal store in San Francisco on Valencia Street. 
And this was in 1999. I actually just, just wrote about this as well. So the memory is really fresh. Um, this woman walked into the store who was wearing a, a weepiel, like I am right now, <laughs> the color for weepiel. She had, you know, long, dark hair, um, you know, beautiful, you know, dark skin and just a presence. Like, like when she walked in the room, like she just, everyone's attention would go to her. Like, and, and as, and she just kind of walked through the store. She was, you know, with her and a couple other people and she's like pointing out different herbs and talking about them, you know, on, on Spanish. And, um, I was like, who is this person? <laughs> and, um, I, again, it was like when I met Karen Sanders, I just had this very somatic experience in my body. Like I, whoever she is, I, I just want to be around her. <laughs> so it, it turned out her, her name is uh, Doña Enriqueta Contreras, and she is, uh, or was, and still is a curandera from Oaxaca, of Zapotec lineage. And um, at that point in time, she was traveling really regularly to the Bay Area and throughout the U.S. to to teach, and to teach about curanderismo. She also is a partera, a midwife, so she was teaching many, many midwives, you know, in the United States as well as Mexico. Um, she's an herbalist. She's a temascalera, which means she, she runs this, the like sweat lodge. So I, 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 I saw her, I was like, that's, you know, she's my teacher, my maestra. And, um, and then my Spanish wasn't great. I just said, I'm going to study with her. So, um, so that was the beginning of a prayer answered with the, my Mexican ancestry. Through her, I met another woman named Estela Roman, who also became my teacher. And the next year, I, I went down to study with, with both of them. And Estela and Enriqueta took me to this um, traditional medicine conference where there was like, curanderos, and healers all around from all over Mexico and just got like immersed <laughs> and spent some time living with Doña Enriqueta, which I always say was, uh, <laughs> I would say she kicked my butt <laughs> because I think when I first, you know, met her, I was very like enchanted by curanderismo and, you know, like, saw the glamour and like the, like rom I romanticized it. It's like, wow, this, you know, here's this, this, this culture, this, this tradition that's still intact, that still uses prayer and herbs for healing. And, you know, it does all these beautiful rituals with all these scents and colors. And, um, but living with Doña Enriqueta, I learned that, you know, it's 90% hard, hard work. You know, really selfless dedication to to your community. You know, people were coming to her house day and night, knocking on the door. She worked from before sunrise to you know after sunset, and I saw it because I was living with her. I just saw what you know the toll it took on her. So, um, so I continue to be in relationship as, you know, student to both of those amazing women and to this day. So it's been almost actually be 20 years. 
now that it's 2019. <laughs> so that was a Kudumbinismo path. And then, um, oh boy, life takes its twists and turns. And um, in 2001, I uh, threw, I mean, and this it's very interesting you know, and I think I turned 50 last year, so I, I feel like I can say I'm old enough to notice this pattern in my life that sometimes when something really difficult happens, I mean, it's difficult and it's hard and heartbreaking, but often it's followed by a really big blessing. So that's what happened in 2001. I had a really hard breakup with my my teacher, my herbal teacher, um, who I'd been very dedicated to and, you know, felt like I was going to be working with her for life, but it, it ended in a way that was really painful for both of us. And I was free falling cause I, I didn't, you know, I, I, that's what I thought I was doing with my life and doing a lot of crying. And one day I got, I was living in Oakland and I got a postcard in the mail that said new program starting in the indigenous mind concentration at Naropa University, Oakland. And I don't know, I just picked up that postcard and I don't even remember what it said, but again, my intuition just said, make this call, like find out about this program. And, you know, to be honest, I was also desperate because <laughs> the ground had fallen out from beneath me in terms of losing the, this relationship, this important relationship. Uh, so I, I called and someone answered right away. And um, I went in and at that point there, it was the Naropa University, which is based in Boulder, has had a campus in Oakland, downtown Oakland on Broadway. And they had joined forces with the University of Creation Spirituality, which is the... Uh, kind of the project or vision of Matthew Fox, who's like a kind of radical Christian theologian. Um, so anyways, they, they had started, Naropa had started a, a branch in, in Oakland and the Indigenous Mind Program was in its flagship year, the very first year. So I, I called, I talked to this really lovely woman named Aileen and and it was very interesting. No one could really give me a very accurate description of what happened in this program because it hadn't happened. <laughs> We're like, well, you need to talk to the director. Her name is Apila. And so I, I had a like a phone call interview with her and she was very, very stern. She's like, This is a path, this is serious, this is not, you know, this is you know, serious spiritual work and ancestral work and you know, you really have to pray and see if you really belong here. And I was like, well, what am I doing? What, what exactly, you know, they're like, they're saying it's remembering your indigenous mind, remembering your ancestors. Like it's probably some of the things that were used to describe it. So I talked to Apila and that night I prayed before going to bed and I had a really clear dream, like this is the way to go. So I, I joined, I signed up and school, that was in August and class started in September. Um, and so that, that path is in that program, which, you know, it was, I always say it was disguised as an academic program. It was really a, a, a spiritual path and initiation. 
But that path is what really brought me into first recognizing and then healing and connecting to my Polish ancestors because part of the um, the assignment, the major assignment was to do, do work on remembering and reconnecting with one of our ancestral lineages. And we were guided and mentored by many different elders, including the two who I called in in the beginning of the um, prayer, Mr. Makua and Auntie Poipoi, who were, who were Hawaiian. But Apila brought in cultural elders of many different traditions who were all, all there to support us to reconnect with our own ancestors. So kind of soon in the beginning of the program, she's like, you have to, if you're mixed, race or mixed culture you have to choose one lineage to focus on because there's not enough time to like divide your attention between like two or three you know of your ancestral groups so it's so it's like well i'll do any ancestors but not my polish ones (laughs) (laughs) that was my like (laughs) my arrogance or whatever and what happened it's so funny i kept getting literally money like funding scholarship grants from polish organizations like and to the point like okay like this is that triangulation again the polish ancestors are giving me money i need to pay attention and you know and and the reasons i didn't want to connect is because i had a lot of wounding around my father and you know he had you know, he had a lot of beautiful gifts. He had a lot of hard side, you know, hard aspects, you know, including addiction. Um, and um, and we also were pretty estranged from that side of the family. So, yeah, it was the last thing I wanted to do. But, of course, it was the thing that spirit ancestors called me to do. So through that process, I was able to go to Poland actually put my feet on the soil and to do what was a, what I called my thesis journey to my Polish and indigenous mind to really um, pray for the, the memories to, to come back, to be on the land, to, you know, communicate with the spirits there, to meet the people, especially in the rural areas where you know, the traditional culture was still alive. Um, and then I know I'm maybe getting a little tangent from the original question, but the very unexpected blessing of this whole process with my Polish ancestors um, was a healing with my father, really profound healing. Um, Because I think, you know, when you're a person, a child growing up and your parents are angry or distant or whatever, abusive, all we have is like our, all I had was a very narrow context. Like he's just mean or whatever, but by giving time and attention to his family, his lineage, his roots, first of all, I started to understand what made him who he is, you know, like he lost his father when he was a child. They left the Polish community. Um, uh, and then just learning the story of, of what happened to Polish people that 
in their homeland and <laughs> in Europe, you know, being colonized and even just erased from the map many times in history. And then the, the story of immigrants coming to this country, not unlike the story of, you know, more recent immigrants who are now, you know, most often people of color. So there's a different kind of discrimination, which also involves race, you know, some point Polish people could assimilate, right? So some of my relatives, they changed their name. So it sounded very, <laughs> very non-Polish. So anyways, a very, so the unexpected blessing was this, this healing with my dad, um, which became ex extra important as when a few years later he became ill with Lewy body dementia and then, you know, died, I felt like there weren't any loose ends in our relationship. Like we, like I was able to forgive him and love him and actually really see all of the good parts of him, you know, instead of just the parts that had been hard and understand him and really felt like proud of the, the lineage, you know, that we come from and, and feel connected to it. And, and that affected him too, when he was alive and still able to be cognizant of it. Like he, me connecting with my Polish roots made him happy and proud. And I think healed some of the wounding he had gone through and, you know, discrimination he had experienced. Um, so yeah. And the journey continues with this work. Like it, 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 it never ends. Um, I, I'm still very connected to my, my circle, my cohort of people who went through the indigenous mind program with me and, and to, as well as Apila and some of the other elders. Um, we're just continuing to do the work and it, and it changes over the years um, with our life experience and with our, um, yeah, it's a very spiral path. So uh, hearing your whole background makes me see how much this has informed um, your school the Ancestral Apothecary School. It's a school of herbal folk and indigenous medicine. And on the website, you say that everyone has ancestral medicine. And so how do you now help people find their ancestral medicine, and especially through plants? Yeah, that that is unfolded. But um, I, th I think the first... And a manifestation of that was the, the class I created called the, the Curanderas Toolkit class, which was my intention to create a class that taught about herbalism and healing, but from a perspective of, of curanderismo, you know, particularly Mexican curanderismo, but not, not limited to that. Um, and that really came from my own longing for that kind of, you know, I was looking for a class like that. I mean, a lot of herbal schools, you know, 10, 20 years ago, still taught from a very Eurocentric perspective and many still do, but I think it's people at least having consciousness of <laughs> diversifying. But anyways, so that was the first manifestation of just creating a class that, 
that have that cultural perspective. So, you know, that speaks, attracts, attracts many, you know, many people, but predominantly, you know, Latinas, you know, once in a while, a a male, but mostly women, um, you know, kind of who are in their own process of reconnecting with their, their ancestral medicine. And so I'm really grateful for that, that class as, as a space where people's first introduction to plants is informed by their cultural roots and their ancestral practices. Um, I, I did teach, it was a one, one or two time thing. I probably will get back to it, you know, sometime, but I did teach a class that was really specifically for Slavic ancestral remembrance. Cause I feel like even when we talk about, people from Europe or European, you know, ancestral practices, a lot of time there's people are mostly thinking about Western Europe. And so I felt like I wanted to give space for, you know, all the other, well, not all the others, but the, the ancestors of mine, the Eastern European and Slavic. Um, that was a while ago now that I, I offered that class, but um, see currently the, the way that, ancestral medicine practices are, you know, encouraged is, is through the Arsese Mana program, which is the nine month training. So one of the primary assignments of the, of the program is what we call the ancestral medicine project. So the assignment is that each, each student research into a practice of their own, a healing practice or tradition of their own ancestors. I mean, it can be herbal, but I, I don't limit it to that because I really like to allow space for, you know, what people are called to, to come through or maybe what they're remembering to come through. So it could, it could be herbal, but it could be music, it could be food, it could be ritual, it could be birthing rites. Um, but, you know, the, it has to be of, of one's own ancestors, one's, uh, lineage, blood lineage. Um, if people know it, I don't know. I don't think we've had people who have been adopted and didn't know their lineage, you know, but we would work with that as a special case. But, and so then usually I share a little bit about my experience and share about the tenets of indigenous science and just some practices and protocols to help people do this work because when it's very different, like so many of us who grew up in and educated in the U S like we're used to doing research in a very left brain way, right? We go to the library, we look at books, we go online. It's, you know, very cerebral, but when you're, you're doing ancestral work from an indigenous science perspective, um, you you learn how to include many other forms of receiving information like intuition and dreams and uh, and and looking in many different ways uh, for information, not just in like printed word, right? It might be through stories or fairy tales or folk tales. Or... So so I teach my students some of that, which is what. I learned, you know, and I, I've practiced 
and then and then ask them to start with a prayer, like to go out somewhere in nature and to make an offering and just ask their ancestors to guide them. Because what I believe is that, you know, these this knowledge doesn't go away, it doesn't die, it just kind of goes dormant, but just given the right conditions and the openness in a person that that medicine will come through. I always like to say it's, it's recorded in our bones and blood, in our DNA. So even if it's been many generations since someone was a practicing herbalist in our family lineage, it's still there. So starting with prayer is important because it expands the, the network, so to speak, beyond just us in this body in this physical place and time, right? It includes all, all that's come before us. So they start with a prayer and then they, um, you know, they just go, they do their research, however it is. They may, you know, talk to family members. They may, you know, it's okay to do research, reading books or going on the internet. That's fine. As, as long as it's kind of balanced out with the intuitive research, like paying attention to your dreams and looking at the signs and symbols. So, um, kind of midway through the, the year, we all gather together and we've been going to a place, a hot springs, that has this really big, beautiful room and, and where, pe- where people can share their ancestral medicine projects. And this last year, 2018, was the third, third group of students who went through this process. And I continue to be just amazed and also really touched with the depth that they they go and also the the healing and transformation that happens in the whole community of students and teachers you know we're all the community um, doing this work um, there's just something about people telling their stories and sharing it and being witnessed and and the way, you know, the way plants are woven into it, I mean, some people are talking about their, their ancestral plants um, or sharing, you know, sharing things they've learned um, about a plant that, you know, they're drawn to, that you know, they found out their, their mothers or grandmothers or great-grandparents used. Um, but the thing I, I always feel about plants is, you know, one thing I always start when I start teaching anyone about plants. I always like to say that the plants are our ancestors. You know, it literally, like this is, you know, it's very poetic to say the plants are our ancestors. <laughs> but from an evolutionary perspective, we have evolved from plants. And our, our blood is very similar to our blood cells. Our red blood cells are very similar to the chlorophyll i think it's just like one little segment that's different so we you know we've evolved from them they are our ancestors and i feel like plants hold this space of like the wise old beings who who are able to hold that space of unconditional love and support like they don't carry all the garbage that we do as human beings. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? And so um, 
I feel like being able to, for example, share, you know, share some really heavy stuff. Like we talk about like colonization and, and the impact that has on, you know, any or all of us in terms of even in the, in the herbal community, you know, in terms of access to land or, you know, plants that have been misappropriated or become, you know, taken out of their cultural context. I mean, um, or the effects of like slavery has on people of African descent and them trying to connect with ancestral knowledge. I mean, so we, so we talk about really heavy topics and we have the plants there to support us. So, you know, we have lots of like flower waters in the room that, you know, people can spray on themselves or pass around a lot of rose or, you know, burn some cedar or whatever, or take some skull cap. Um, it, it's just nice to know, like, we're going to go to these deep, scary places individually and collectively, but we're not alone. You know, we're not alone. We have our allies. Um, and I think as herbalists, um, can, you know, connecting with our plant, our plant allies is part of remembering our indigenous mind because, you know, plants were the original medicine. I mean, maybe also like insects and minerals and things like that, but right, plants proceed by thousands of years, pharmaceutical drugs. So by just working with plants in any way, a conscious way by learning to communicate to them, to pray to them, to listen to them also I think awakens ancestral medicine I, I think that plants want us to be well that's that's my belief at least um, so they're great allies for for this work in all the ways and all the ways that they are and um, yeah and allow us yeah give us that kind of like cocoon or that blanket of of love and protection while we, while we do this work, because as you know, I mean, I know you, Amber, you've done a lot of your own ancestor work. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Mm -hmm. And, um, so learning like, okay, I, I may, I'm doing, you know, I'm deep in this work and I feel very vulnerable cause I'm, you know, remembering or reliving this certain ancestral trauma. Like, but I could, I could, carry yarrow on me so I had stronger boundaries so I actually have more of a filter when I go out to the world and business as usual is down there it's going on right because when we do this ancestor work we kind of go to different places in space and time that aren't where everyone else is <laughs> so I think kind of having those 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 herbs as our as our supportive allies really makes at least for me, I can't imagine doing it without, without them. Um, yeah. Grounding us back to, mm -hmm. to the time and place that we physically are in the moment as we're doing that work. Um, you, so your school really does focus on making, um, space and having accessibility for people of color. Some of mm -hmm. the classes you have coming, coming up are, um, healing the symptoms of capitalism, and there's a number of like medicine making and self-care classes specifically for women of color and people of color. Mm -hmm. Um why does it why is it important to 
to focus on that and to give people working with those ancestral lineages their own space. Yeah. I mean, it's so important. It's so important because we're all healing from the wounds of colonization and, and racism. And that plays out. I mean, this is something I learned from appeal and in the indigenous mind program. It plays out in every single aspect of our lives <laughs> and including our community, our healing communities. And, um, you know, whether it's herbalists or herbal schools that, you know, have predominantly white faculty or white student body or curriculum that really comes from just more the Western European perspective of teaching, or if other cultural modalities are taught, it might be taught by someone who's not even of that cultural modality. Like it might be Ayurveda, but it's someone not South Asian who's teaching it. And I actually learn a lot from my students about how painful this, this is, you know, to, you know, cause everyone has a different perspective. Um, so I think there needs to be spaces for people especially, well, for people of color to connect and heal the, to their ancestral medicine or to just medicine, to plant medicine, where, without having to be defending or deflecting any sort of racism or any sort of um, microaggression. Um, I, I think it's really essential right now for communities to healing. I mean, and that, that kind of relates to the, my Seisei Mana story of why I started that program because I knew it would be a lot of work. Like, like I love teaching, but I, I really never intended to, like, run a school. <laughs> and that has taken a toll on me, but that's another story. But, um, but it was all of these, all of my students who had been in many of my other classes all students of color, like we want a school, we want a space where we can learn herbalism, but we actually feel, you know, safe being who we are. And where. um, so I, I listen to that as like, if, if I can give this gift to the world of training these, you know, herbalists of color, like I'm actually, I feel really good about my contribution to, you know, <laughs> transforming the landscape of, 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 of healing, of, because it also relate, relates to who are the service providers. Like a, another thing that happened, I don't know, maybe like four or five years ago now is I'm part of an organization called the Healing Clinic Collective that um, organizes free healing clinics in the Bay and really targeting people who are underserved, um, especially by like, well, what gets called alternative medicine, but sometimes it's ancestral traditional medicine, like whether it's acupuncture or limpias or herbalism. Uh, so we're organizing these clinics and, you know, we're reaching out to communities that are predominantly like, like people of color. And then I'm trying to organize, and I, my job was to get herbalists to volunteer and, and most of the herbalists I knew in Oakland in like 2015 were white. And it's like, how could this be? Like Oakland is so diverse. <laughs> what is, you know, what is this? And, you know, so I was like, it, 
it has to be, it is not just going to happen. Like we actually have to create spaces and we have to listen to communities and people and what do they want and need. Um, and so that, that includes creating spaces like these classes, which are, you know, those classes are all taught by now my students who graduated from say, say mana women of color who, you know, they want, they are like, this is what's needed. I want to teach this, this class medicine making for women of color. And I'm like, great, go for it. That's, I am a hundred percent behind it. Um, and the other part is, is a real part is, is financial. Like a lot of trainings, whether it's herb school or acupuncture or whatever are, are, um, not financially accessible to communities that historically have less access to capital because of racism. So, you know, we couldn't just put together a great curriculum with a really diverse group of teachers. And I've really tried to include a lot of different perspectives in the curriculum, so we bring in like Angela Angel, who's who teaches Filipino folk medicine. We, you know, have um, someone coming whose whose roots are from Nigeria and like African American South here teaching like African diaspora medicine. You know, many pre- practitioners from different cultural perspectives. So that's one part of it, and then but making it financially accessible. So we've been also committed to, to raising money for scholarship. Um, so we're doing that right now. I don't know when this podcast will go live, but never too late to donate because I, you know, I really feel like it's a, it's a community effort. Like, because, so then we have people, we have like Latina herbalists who can then serve their Latin, Latino community. You know, we have black herbalists who can serve their black you know, African-American community. You know, so it's not, we're not repeating that same kind of unhealthy pattern of like the, the white savior going into a community to like help them. Like, you know, I, I really believe it's about, you know, teaching the skills in, in, in the communities and having people do their own self-determination. So yeah, it's, I'm very excited because it's, you know, things are shifting, you know, there's more, um, yeah, there's more spaces for that. There's more spaces for, you know, whatever the, the group is. Like I have a friend who teaches medicine making just for, I think it's just for queer people of color. You know, which is all that whatever the group is that wants their space so that it can be safe to do the work and to learn. You know, I am in support of that. And um, it's such beautiful work that you're doing. It reminds me of this Buckminster Fuller quote. You never change things by fighting the existing reality to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Mm, that's great it is great because we are I've talked about it a number of times on this podcast um, you know just of course really in this cultural moment right now um, where this social justice consciousness is getting raised getting bigger and there's um, a lot of good things happening but there's a lot of people just screaming online using their caps lock button and um, not really doing things and of course not everyone's in a position to really make change but you are and you're doing it you're creating this existing model to um 
to make this change that everyone wants to happen, happen. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I really uh, sometimes just feel frustrated being like, okay, I see a lot of people want things to change, but like, how does this actually look in real life? And this is how it looks. What you're doing is how it looks. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And we got to change our, starting with ourselves too, you know, cause I've also been alive enough to be in communities that are all women or all women of color. And just to see that even within that, we can still be so wounded that we, repeat unhealthy patterns with one another so right yeah my most recent interview yeah doing um, our work (laughs) yes yes um I so actually the way I found you again and invited you to be on the podcast we first connected 10 years ago and yeah I'm gonna tell that whole story when I record the intro to this but (laughs) Um, I thought about having you on since I first started the podcast, but then I was recently, I had a guest named Darla Antoine come on and she talked about ideas for cultural reparations, mm-hmm. you know, and one of them is um, contributing money, of course, and, and anyway, can. And I was like, oh, I would love to contribute some money to like herbalists of color wanting to learn herbal medicine and connect with their own ancestral traditions that have been forgotten in the face of colonization and I was googling around and your GoFundMe page came up and I was like oh my gosh look what Atava is doing this is amazing and oh yeah I gotta have Atava on um but it was like past it was done when I first found it a couple months ago but before we talked today I was looking on your website and it's up again so that was what you were referring to yeah and I just donated and please do tell people yeah Mm -hmm. how they can donate Yes. Well, you could go, it's a GoFundMe. I think it's called Say Mana Herbalist of Color Fund. I would have to look at the exact title, but I'll put it in the show notes too. You could put it in the show notes. Yeah. If you go to our website, uh, ancestralpothecaryschool.com, there's a, a link there in our blog. It's also, I've been putting it all over our Facebook page because right now we are in a, a final push because the next Say Mana class starts March 6th, so, and we have 10 or 12 students of color who we're just raising money for. We'd, I'd love to give, I mean, I'd love to give them all full scholarships. Why not dream big? But at least it'd be great to give them at least $500 each, some or like a thousand. So we've been doing some other great fundraising, some events and classes. And so this is the, this is the way for people all around the world to, to donate and to really and I, I say this over and over, like investing in your in herbalist education is investing in the health of your community because more than ever, when stuff gets hard and when there's crisis or, you know, like right now, a lot of my students and colleagues were down in Tijuana, like supporting the, the, um, the immigrants there at the border and, you know, all the hell they're going through. Um, we've, we've, you know, supported like after the Orlando shootings at the Pulse nightclub made a huge care package and sent it down. And we, we show up after demonstrations and protests I mean, natural disasters. We did a huge amount after the Sonoma or Sonoma Santa Rosa fires. And then the fires last year and, um, um, Chico and um, Paradise. So herbalists are the grassroots 
community healers. I mean, as are other people, but but we get called on again and again and again. And because herbalism has this accessibility, like um, I think there's a way it really fits fits you know the needs of these times. So yeah, so supporting your community herbalists. You know, you should, everybody should do it just because it's a good thing to do, but it's also, it's supporting your, your, the health of your community and the resilience because, I mean, who knows in five or 10 years, it may be more of a primary medicine if systems break down and we don't have access to, you know, medicine the way we do. But so thank you the donations in advance. (laughs) Yes, yes. I would like to echo that thank you to anyone who does go to donate. Um, and things are, I mean, systems are getting broken, you know, things are going to get harder on this planet before they get easier. And so investing in herbal education for others, like you say, strengthens that community. Um, and I also just really feel that you're going to be a better herbalist. You're going to be a stronger healer. You're just going to be more grounded and true to yourself if you are rooted in your own ancestral traditions. Yeah, and that's just our, our philosophy, which is why we do that project. And and you also then respect other people's traditions, and there's not this need that to, like, steal or take appropriate from other cultures like we all come we all come from people who work with plants that's just fact <laughs> yeah for a, for the vast majority of human history 99 percent of human history we were hunter gatherers working with plants yes and had no doctors to call right. on. i mean doctors are so recent and we all survived to be alive today in our lineages because our people knew how to take care of themselves and each other and um so as we wind down a little bit, I wanted to, I was really struck by something that you said to me when we were preparing for this. So you were diagnosed with uterine cancer last year, had a full hysterectomy. And you said that the most powerful element of healing for you through that process was love and support from your community. And um, love is something that I like to talk about on this show. (laughs) I think we kind of give it short shrift in um, our culture, even though we use it all the time in somewhat meaningless ways. Um, You know, I said this in the last episode with Lila June, but there's, we really can't heal in the absence of love. Um, We have to be calling in love into everything we're doing in a healing space, even when there is all the hard stuff there too, like cancer and like colonization, like all these um, traumas and pains that are so big in the culture and individually. So I would just love to hear you speak a little more on like how you let that love in and how you felt it and received it and what you think it did to help you through the process of healing from that hysterectomy and the cancer journey. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think just kind of preface that with, I feel like it's really easy if you're studying healing or practicing as a healer to get wrapped up in the the technique of it all (laughs) Like, oh, I need to learn this and I need to learn that and memorize this list. And And, um, I mean, myself included, right? I mean, I also love learning and there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with learning a lot of techniques and modalities to, to help yourself and others heal. Um, And I think this is, it is one of the symptoms of 
you know, I don't know if it's from colonization directly or from uh, capitalism or just, you know, patriarchy, but just the way love gets taken out of the equation uh, from healing. So, you know, whether it's acupuncture school or herbal school, they're not like teaching you how to love your clients. <laughs> um, probably not in, I don't know what happens in medical school, but anyways, maybe it's changing because I think more people are realizing that, oops, we left something really important out. Um, but, you know, without that element, you can have all these great techniques, but there, it is it is the the basic fundamental vibration that I think keeps the universe moving. Um, yeah. F so for my journey, um, first of all, it was very scary and shocking and humbling. And, uh, as I tell my students, I'm done with the wounded healer, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, can't, yeah. Cancer is one of those things I realize is beyond our control in a lot of ways. So um, if, as part of the experience, you know, some friends just helped set up the what's called Caring Bridge site. So so that the, the support could be organized because what I realized is I'm, I'm somebody who's used to just doing it doing it all, whatever, taking care of myself, taking care of others. And this situation put me in a place where I, I had to receive, you know, which is probably a really good lesson in and of itself. But, um, yeah, just, I had so, you know, I think when you're in that spot of illness or, you know, I, this, I feel like it was a similar after my dad dying, you know, in, in our loss where you're just so open and so vulnerable. And, and, and I think you really feel things more profoundly good and bad. Right. So I was very vulnerable and fragile and just having people come by with food or offer healing work or, just sit there and, you know, hang out with me. And I, I guess I just really felt like this is, this is it. This is like more important than in any other thing. It's just, it's just feeling cared for, feeling that someone is, you know, they, they love you and that, you know, they'll hold you when you cry or they'll pray for you. Um, like I felt like, cause I was so open, it, it's almost love became more tangible and, um, and I think, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the normal like kind of recovery time. Well, I guess I know a little bit what the doctors say from, from this kind of, from a hysterectomy, but I, I felt like I recovered really well and really quickly and, you know, and not just physically, cause I, I think for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, like being diagnosed with cancer is also what we call in curanderismo, a big susto, a big shock, and requires a lot of emotional healing too and um, spiritual deepening because you face your mortality. 
Um, and so I feel like, again, people coming, you know, my vast network of friends and community members um, showing up in all the ways. I mean, some people would just come and pray with me um, or pray for me, <laughs> pray over me, um, pray with me and my partner, my wife, who, you know, was also really affected. Like all of that just held us in this way that just felt so graceful and so, um, yeah, so supportive that I feel like, you know, I can say that I do feel recovered from that experience. And, you know, I don't feel like there's residue of like the trauma of having surgery or, um, or, you know, what goes on afterwards or the diagnosis, you know. Um, and it also opened me up. I mean, this is kind of more existential, existential, but, you know, to realize that we're really attached to healing, meaning like your physical body gets well. But I think it's something beyond that. Like I think people, I, I actually just a week ago had a friend die of cancer who had a really beautiful death. I think that was healing. Like it's, it's the healing is beyond just like surviving in this physical body. Like, mm -hmm. so that, that love that we cultivate and that we receive and give in this lifetime that carries us to the next dimension. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, and then continues, you know, it, it sounds like you're having that experience with your mom and I'm well, both very, very sorry, you know, for your loss and but I'm really happy that you're feeling that 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 blessing and that continuation of her essence um and so it's, yeah. I mean I you know when we really work to cultivate love in our lives and ourselves as loving beings when we're alive which my mom did she she radiated love mm -hmm. in her life then I I do think like death is easier or that mm. transition is easier and the um, elevation into being an ancestor mm -hmm. goes more smoothly. And there's, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, um, just love and that transition from life through death into the realm of the ancestors and how love can be this force that carries mm -hmm. us through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, you know, and, probably helps people and whatever goes on when they get there, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, cause yeah, they have less stuff to work out before they can become that, that white light or whatever the next level is. Exactly. And then it's easier for them to turn around and um, look back on their living descendants and loved ones and, um, you know, communicate in, in those ways and, in mm -hmm. intermediate from a place of love and protection guidance blessings mm -hmm. yeah. well okay Atava <laughs> thank you what an incredible conversation I am so so happy to have reconnected with you um, 10 too. years later like what a really neat full circle yeah, and I'm wearing the right dress. You'll have to say that. I'm wearing the dress that Amber gave me or we traded for 10 years ago. I can't believe it. And you didn't remember. I mean, it's, it's really magical. That's crazy. I'll, I'll tell that like whole story in the intro. Um, 
And I, I found the photo too of myself wearing the dress that you are wearing right now as we talk. And um, yeah. Okay. So where can people find you online? Yes. Yeah, so since we talked a lot about my school, it's ancestralapothecaryschool.com. Um, we also are Ancestral Apothecary on Facebook and Instagram. At Twitter, I think we're at Ancestral Apoth because Apothecary was too long. <laughs> um, my personal website is a, a, a little under construction, but it's just ancestralapothecary.com. And yeah, I, I have been taking some time off to deal with my own health, but I'm, I'm starting to see clients um, uh, again after, you know, some time off. So both of those ways are good, good places to find me. And yeah, our schools in Oakland, California, lots of good classes in person. A lot of people are asking about online. That may be the next phase because I'm actually going to be moving to New Mexico within this year because my wife now has a job out here so we're in transition yeah I mean I'm sure everyone who hears this is gonna want to take your classes you know so moving online yeah Um, just to put it out there that my dream now is to turn ancestral apothecary school into a worker-owned cooperative and to get a really diverse um, group of people who are grounded in their ancestral medicine as the next generation of you know leaders and and owners and visionaries and that I could stay on as more an advisor so that's the next phase but yeah it's 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 growing and I wanted to continue and and to be able to grow and reach more people in whatever ways that that is so oh sounds amazing uh okay thanks again Atava so nice to talk to you yeah so good to talk to you Amber Now I remember that I am a prayer of my ancestors' breath. Now I remember that I am a prayer of my ancestors' breath. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back. Back to the earth. Now I remember that I am a prayer of my ancestors' breath. Now I remember that I am a prayer of my ancestors' breath. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. Now I am standing and turning around to walk forward into death. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back. We are giving our breath back. Back to the earth. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. 
I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, handmade herbal medicines, past podcast episodes, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, I invite you to click the purple banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, which healing herb is your plant familiar? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you are in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. There's some killer rewards there, um, exclusive content, access to online courses, free, beautiful, downloadable ebooks, coupon codes, giveaways, and just amazing gifts provided by past guests of the podcast. All of that stuff is at the $2 a month level. Um, for a little more, you can access my herbal ebook or my small online course. And that's all there as a thank you, a huge thank you from me and from my guests for listening, for supporting this work. I love figuring out what I can give to people on Patreon. It's so fun. And I love that Patreon makes it that you can um, contribute for such a small amount a month. I'm a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding this project into my life has been a questionable move for sure, but I love doing it and I love the feedback that I get from you all and I just pray that the Patreon continues to allow me the financial wiggle room to keep on doing it while giving back to everyone who's listening um, if you're unable to do that, or if you'd like to support further, I would love it if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would review the podcast on iTunes too, really helps get it into other ears. And it means so much to me when I read those reviews. It's, um, like the highlight of my week when I check them and see new ones and people are amazing. You guys are wonderful. Thank you so much. The music that opens and closes the show is by Marie Sue, M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X. It's from her song Wild Eyes, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Thank you so much, and I look forward to you next time. <laughs>